You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gaston Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Well, amen. Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles this morning to John 19, verses 1 through 16. Again, that is John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. As we look at a message that is titled, Behold the Man, this morning. Uh, As we do this today, we are going to be examining the last of Jesus' trial before Pilate, uh, before his crucifixion. And so, um, again, preparing our hearts for this. Thankful for our team this morning in leading us in worship. But as you're turning, I want to begin today's message by talking about one of the most polarizing issues of today. Um, Something that I did not even think would be an issue has become something uh, really that is... It's, again, it's polarizing, it's captivating, it's interesting. And that is the issue of AI, or artificial intelligence. Over the last year, we've seen an explosion of AI. There are things uh, that exist today, like ChatGPT, which is a program that you can ask any question, and it'll give you an answer. You can ask it to do things for you, and it'll tell you, again, what those things are. You can ask it to write research papers for you, but rest assured, it is easy to check if your work was written by AI. But the problem has come from the fact that there is a lot more powerful AI than just answering questions that you could Google. For example, just recently on Twitter, there have been accounts that were created by AI with hundreds of thousands of followers. And what happens is that there's a background created for this account. There's a picture, there's a backstory. It's posted all over the internet. And what the AI does is it creates fake news articles and profiles and it pretends to be this person. This is not something that's just a small scale thing. Just recently, uh, there was one that I'm thinking of who was a, was a woman reporter who had worked in the Biden administration. And top White House officials and news outlets and everyone else are following this person only to then realize that it's not a real person. It's an artificial intelligence. It's a a fake, if you will. So what we have are some fakes that are very hard to figure out like that, right? Very deceiving. We might see something and think it's real and in reality only find out it's a picture that's generated by a computer program. On the flip side, we also have AI that makes Johnny Cash and Frank Sinatra sing the latest pop tunes. And uh, so with AI, some fakes are obvious, Right, Like that, we know that Johnny Cash is not singing today's latest and greatest hits. And then we also have fakes that are really hard to figure out, these deep fakes. But both are mockeries and falsehood. Both of them are fakes. Some are just easier to see than others. In the Christian life, I've run across many people that are like this. They, they claim to worship Christ, but in reality, that person never existed. It's just a projection. It's something that's put out there for everyone to see with no real reality, no substance behind it. On the other hand, I also encounter people who outright mock the Christian faith. These are not just violent atheists or members of other religions. Some so-called Christians mock their own faith in both word and deed. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to see that in this text that we're examining, as we behold the man of Jesus Christ, today we're going to see that there are some mockeries and falsehoods that are inflicted on Jesus at his trials. There's a whole lot of faking going on. 
And through these, what we're going to see is the absurdity of their mockeries and also the calling on our life to be authentic, real, genuine, bona fide worshipers of Christ that are in total submission to his lordship. And so if you're physically able, if you will, stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Again, John 19, verses 1 through 16. I read from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you once more this morning, and Lord, we thank you for your, again, tremendous grace and mercy and Father, we pray now as we approach your word that, Lord, you would speak to us, you would reveal yourself to us. Father, that we may know you more and worship you more. Father, we pray that we would walk more closely with you as a result of our time in your word this morning. Lord, that you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us. Lord, you would prepare us for what you have ahead of us. Lord, we pray that in all these things your will would be done, you would be honored, and you would be glorified. And Lord, we ask again that you would have your way here in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we saw that the kingdom of Christ is higher and better and over that of the world. Specifically, the kingdom is active. The kingdom is not of this world. And the kingdom is a kingdom of truth. We know that clearly the kingdom of God is a kingdom of truth because it is presided over by a holy God. We have a king of truth and therefore his kingdom is a kingdom of truth. But we can expect that the sinful world and specifically a sinful world under the influence of the father of lies would be a world that is full of falsehood. And so it is. All around us today we see that the world seems to declare that evil is good and good is evil. It's so backwards and and full of lies. They tell us men are women and women are men. They tell us that murder is good. Protecting life is bigoted. 
Again, just this week, a woman shares the gospel and is blasted by conservatives and liberals alike for being bigoted. So we know good and well that the world has no problem with lies and falsehood. For them to call out fakery and masquerading would be to call out themselves. In this text today, though, we see it on full display that the sinfulness of the world is a world that is full of falsehood. We don't see people here pretending to be Christian. What we see is full-on, wholesale mockery of the Lord Jesus. And so what I want us to understand today are a few things. First of all, we can learn what not to do here, and we can have an appreciation for our Lord and Savior, being thankful that he endured these mockeries on our behalf. And so what I, I want to do, the course of our message today, I want to show you four fakes and one real thing. Four fakes and one real thing. The first fake I want to show you is that of fake worship here in verses 1 through 6. I want you to see fake worship. Immediately, we see that Jesus is flogged or scourged, uh, depending on your translation. This is that infamous beating by Roman soldiers with the cat of nine tails, a whip with pieces of jagged bone attached in the end of them, with the specific purpose of ripping flesh from the body. The person was tied to a post for this procedure because they usually passed out. But the purpose here was many, and this is important for understanding what's happening here. There was obviously people who had been caught in wrongdoing who were punished in this way. But there's also a point here that they would use this to gain confessions from people who they believed to be criminals. And so what they would do is they'd bring someone out there who potentially was accused of a crime, and they would beat them with this cat of nine tails in order to get them to confess to what they had done. And you can imagine that if this whipping is designed in such a way that even if you were innocent, you confessed because it was so brutal. And yet what we see here is that Jesus did not. Pilate had repeatedly asked what Jesus had done, and to this point he'd found no guilt in him. And, and through this flogging and beating, Christ confesses to nothing. And this would have been a radical thing to the soldiers and to Pilate. The whipping also had a third purpose. It was um, specifically done to people who were to be crucified because uh, everyone who's crucified or, uh, was flogged in this manner because it makes death quicker, makes it faster and supposedly more merciful. But the story continues. The soldiers not only beat Christ, they twist a crown of thorns together. They make a, a crown that's torturous to wear and they force it on his head and they wrap him in purple robes because this is the, the color of royalty. And as they do this, he's beaten, bleeding, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. They say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they beat him. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31, gives us more context on this. I'm going to read it for you, but just, just listen to what this says. It says, The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. So what we have here, based on the, on the context and, and the consistent message of the Gospels, is that a whole battalion of soldiers kneels before him, shouting, Hail, King of the Jews. But they're mocking him, spitting on him, striking him with a cane. 
And so what we see is we see this fake bowing and this fake honor, and it's clear to us that what they're doing here is they are mocking the Lord Jesus. It's abundantly evident. And yet what we see is that their words are right, right? Hail, king of the Jews. This is a a word described again to, to reflect honor given to a king. The posture is right. They're bowing down before him. What's the problem? The problem is the issue of their heart. Again, the motivation behind these actions. The mockery is clear. They are not meaning any of this. It's, it's, it's a joke. It's a mocking. It's fake. And it's the clearest example because we see it immediately. They, they lead him out in this state. He comes out before the crowd wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate cries out, Behold the man! Look upon him! Look at him! See, he is beaten and helpless. And what is the response? Hatred. Crucify him. And so what we see here is we see this fake worship of the soldiers and we are rightly appalled. But let me tell you, there are many in today's world who claim the name of Christ and yet make a mockery of him. We will masquerade around saying the right words, doing the right motions, and yet there is a heart that betrays nothing but hatred for Christ and his word. Friends, we are called to be better than that. Fake worship is a problem, and it has been since the beginning. If you just take a survey through Scripture, you find that fake worship has been a problem that has been repeatedly dealt with. Back in Leviticus 10, Aaron's sons had a problem with fake worship. Their names are Nadab and Abihu. And they offer strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord, and listen to what happens. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took their censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. These people worshipped in a way that was unallowed. It was a fake worship. They came into it thinking that they were the ones who were in charge. They came into it thinking that they were going to worship in this way that they determined. And what happens? They're engulfed in flame. Ananias and Sapphira, right? In the, in the New Testament, we see this. They bring in this big offering. They make a huge show of worship. And yet, they are holding back. And what happens? They're killed. Simon the sorcerer, he claims to walk with Christ for a time. But he's ultimately rebuked for trying to buy the Holy Spirit to perform magic. We can go on and on through the scriptures. We can read the... the um, the minor prophets, we can read things like Amos and, and we can read about Malachi and we can see how false and fake worship is repeatedly condemned. Fake worship is something that God takes seriously and the Lord's Supper is a prime example. First Corinthians tells us that some people had died because they took it in a manner that was unworthy, in a manner that was fake. My point in this today is this. There are many who call themselves Christians and call themselves churches that are mocking the Lord Jesus and engaging in fake worship, and I'm tired of it. There are the subtle fakes that we can't see, right? 
There's the fake worship that, that comes in here with a heart full of sin that you refuse to repent of and you, you say the right things and you go through the motions and you, you read along the confessions of sin with us and those sorts of things. But yet in reality, your heart is still so full of sin and it's so sick that it's fake. Again, you can come in here and proclaim that Jesus is king and you can even bow down before him, but if your life mocks the name of Christ, you are no better than these Roman soldiers. If you come to worship on Sunday and then do all the things, but then continue to persist in unrepentant sin, you're simply bowing and claiming one minute and spitting in his face the next. So there's subtle fakes, right, like that. And then there's also clear fakes, right, the abundantly obvious. Churches today mocking Christ in very public ways. Again, we have the crazy things, ranging from seemingly innocent to very bad. Right? So-called churches doing things like preaching movies instead of the Bible. So-called churches confessing the sparkle creed instead of faith in Christ. Churches that are worshiping themselves and their sinful desires instead of what Christ has called them to. But they still want to say, oh, we're Christians. It's a cheap imitation. It's a fake. And it's fake worship that will be burned up like Nadab and Abihu. We are called to a real worship. Something that's substantive, that has substance to it. We're called to a true and sincere worship of Christ as king. We are to be those whose bowing is legitimate and in every area of life. We're to be those whose confession that Christ is king is true and real. We're to be those who don't claim him as king one second and spit in his face the next. We're to follow him no matter what and ascribe to him the honor that is due him. We're talking about not just the, the words that come from our mouth and, and the posture of our body, but the posture of our heart. And so I ask, when we come in here, is this a place where we are, are having real worship? Or is it a masquerade? We're called to the real. And so the first fake we see in this text is that of fake worship. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that the falsehood does not end there. But rather, it continues on into the second fake we see, and that is the fake authority. The fake authority of Pilate, seen in verses 6 through 11. The Jews here, they want Jesus crucified. They're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says to them in a seemingly sort of sarcastic manner here, you crucify him. Pilate found no guilt in him, and so he tells the Jews, knowing full good and well that they couldn't crucify him, to do it themselves. He says, you crucify him. The chief priests respond with the actual heart of the whole thing. They say, well, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And what do we see here about Pilate? It says he's afraid. More accurately here, Pilate is terrified. The idea of the word is that Pilate is exceedingly afraid. And so he enters the headquarters again and he demands to know from Jesus, where are you from? Jesus had already told Pilate before the beating and the mockery that he was from a higher kingdom that was not of this world. Made that clear last week. Jesus has already told Pilate where he's from, and so he doesn't answer. 
Pilate says to him in what I imagine is a snarky and arrogant tone, you won't speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Basically, Pilate is saying, don't you know I control you and your destiny? Your life is in my hands. I mean, this statement from Jesus is so chilling and it's so powerful. It's one of my favorite moments in the Gospels. Jesus answered to Pilate and he says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus then makes a statement about the Jews, that they have the greater sin for delivering him over to Pilate. But the the main thrust here is that Pilate, the leading Roman authority in the area, has no authority over Jesus. Jesus says, unless I allow it, you have no authority. Now, we discussed this last week, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. But Pilate thinks he's in charge. Jesus says, no. One of the most arrogant things we can do as people is to think that we have authority and that we have control. It can, again, show up in in situations like Pilate in this moment, telling the God of the universe, I hold your life in my hands. But it can also show up in our day-to-day life. James says it this way in James 4, 13 through 15. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Why should we say, if the Lord wills? It's because he is the one who has authority, not us. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Whereas the word tells us that man has a way he thinks he should go, but that way leads to death. Don't think that you are in charge. Realize that you aren't and submit to the one who is. See, Pilate here is, is flexing his, his arrogance by saying, I hold your life in my hands, not realizing again that Christ holds all things together. I love the story of Sennacherib and Hezekiah because it illustrates this point so well. Back in 2 Kings, uh, Sennacherib is this invading king of the Assyrians, and he sends messengers that go to God's people, and they taunt them. This guy called the Rabshakeh comes in, and he's taunting. And he says, basically, your God can do nothing. You're under our control, and we are in charge. You and your nation are mine, and there is nothing that will change it. Listen to the arrogance of Sennacherib. 2 Kings 19, 10-13, he says, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharavim, the king of Hena, king of Iva? What they're saying here is, hey, uh, don't let your God, who you trust in, deceive you by telling you it's going to be okay and that he'll take care of it. And they said, we've killed all these other nations. 
Where are their gods? What makes you think that you're not next? They're saying, who is your God and what can he do? He's nothing. And so Hezekiah goes in prayer and this is what he prays. Says Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. The prayer of Hezekiah here acknowledges that God is God alone, right? That he possesses all authority. Sennacherib comes in mocking, just like Pilate and the Romans saying, we have authority. And yet, Hezekiah prays and he says, Lord, save us so the world will know that you are God alone, that you possess all authority. Sennacherib is mocking, but God will not be mocked. And so the Lord responds to Sennacherib. And this is what the Lord says. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins." While their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it's grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Lord tells Sennacherib the same thing that Jesus tells Pilate. The only reason you've been able to do this is because I allow it. I planned it from old. I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me. And that night, the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians, and Sennacherib was murdered by his own sons while he was worshiping his false god. This man who thinks that he possesses all authority and all control Reality owns nothing. What's the point? The Lord possesses all authority. It doesn't matter if the Roman Empire and and Pilate or the Assyrian armies and Sennacherib or the United States of America or NATO or whoever thinks that they have authority. The only authority anyone has is what God allows them to have and what he has decreed. The only authority anyone has is what he allows because he alone is God and possesses all authority. Don't be as arrogant as Pilate and think that you have control. You don't. But that's a good thing. Because our God who holds all things together and is totally sovereign is good and gracious. 
He's merciful. He's a king of truth. He has a kingdom of truth. And he allows Pilate that authority because he had a greater plan to save and redeem his people. The third fake I want you to see is that of fake judgment here in verses 12 through 16. Pilate now realizing he's out of his depth, right? This statement is given to Pilate. The only authority you have is because I allow it, right? And then here in verse 12, we see immediately that Pilate is trying to release Jesus. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out. They're not going to have it. And they say, if you release him, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now this is a turning point for Pilate here. Pilate brings Jesus out and sits on the judgment seat. The name of Caesar is invoked. And and what we see here is at that moment, something changes for Pilate. So he brings Jesus out. He sits down on this, this stone pavement. It's a judgment seat. And he begins to exercise judgment. Pilate had said multiple times that Jesus was innocent. I mean, how many times have we read this? Over and over, Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. But ultimately, pride and fear of man led Pilate to exercise a fake judgment and a farce trial. Why? The crowd made a point that Pilate really didn't want to argue with, couldn't argue with. Everyone who's a king is opposed to Caesar. You see, in the Roman system, Caesar is not just king, he is God. And any claim against him is a complete opposition. Everyone who's a king is opposed to Caesar. And so here Pilate has recognized this. If, if he lets Jesus go, He's not a friend of Caesar. And so this statement from the crowd is as much a threat as it is a fact. If Pilate allowed this to go on, his career would likely be ruined. At worst, he could have been killed for treason. And so the crowd continues to clamor for crucifixion. And so Pilate delivers Jesus over to be crucified, even though he has repeatedly stated that he has found him innocent. This is fake judgment. It's not based in any sort of reality. It's a judgment based on fear of man and pride. We know that Jesus was in fact innocent. That The purpose here is that he was pierced for our transgression. He's crucified on our behalf, taking the punishment for our sins so that we can be made right with God. That's the gospel. But the judgment there was a farce. It was a fake and an innocent man was killed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was innocent. And yet the Lord made him. He treated him as though he were sinful, so that he may treat us so we are righteous. But as we look at the judgment here, we we see that this is a very clear truth that comes out of this. And that is that ultimately, the world's judgment will be flawed because we live in a fallen world. Ultimately, 
The judgment of the world is going to have some problems in it. Since the fallen world hates truth, the world may judge us unfairly. But ultimately, the world's judgment is irrelevant. What matters is the Lord's judgment. And before the Lord, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and none are righteous, no, not one. The only way we will be judged wholly before God is if we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. If we repent of our sins and put all of our hope and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, we are saved. Again, he took our punishment and we get his righteousness. We should strive for justice in this world here, yes, but we should look to the Lord's judgment before all others. And ultimately, that is where our hope is, knowing that one day the Lord will judge all things. The things that are known the things that are unknown, the things we can see and the things that are faked. And his judgment will be perfect, not flawed. Our fourth and final fake I want you to see here is that of fake allegiance in verse 15. Let's look at the the fake allegiance of the Jews here very quickly. They cry out, we have no king but Caesar. This is, to me, this is the, the depths of the depravity of the, the Jews at this point. When they cry, we have no king but Caesar, we touched on this last week, it is a worship statement. Our allegiance is to Caesar alone. Whereas we would say our allegiance is to Christ alone. In the moment, they're saying Caesar alone. What's so shocking about all this is how they are so quick to abandon all else for what is convenient and what is desirable. Again, just like last week, we saw that the Jews were were willing to kill somebody whenever it was convenient. But then they appealed to Roman authority when it was convenient. Here today, we see this same sort of thing. The Jews hated the Roman Empire, and they hated Caesar. And again, they were frequently revolting against Rome. Even in that moment, there was a Jewish revolt against the Romans. So what changed? They needed Rome because they wanted Christ crucified. And so they abandoned, again, God's law, as we saw last week. They abandoned the things of God for what was convenient and desirable to them. And so what we see here is that there is no true allegiance for the Jews. They're not truly allegiant to God, right? They have no allegiance to God because the moment that they want something else, they just turn to the Romans. And there's no real allegiance to the Romans because they really hate them too. The only true allegiance of the Jews, it would seem here, is to themselves. And some of us here today are in the same boat. You have a fake allegiance to Christ. You're only submitting to him as long as it's convenient for you, as long as you get what you want out of it. But friends, that is a false allegiance, and it's fake. It's like Simon the sorcerer, again, that we discussed earlier. He was all good until he saw something he wanted, and then when he wanted that power of the Holy Spirit for himself, we find out that his allegiance was fake. Again, some of us, we, we go through this, we, we say, oh, well, you know, I love the Lord, and then the moment that something bad happens, you're done. You give up. The moment that a little opposition comes your way, you're quick to sell Christ out, to, to promote yourself. 
That is a, again, fake allegiance. Rather, we are to strive for a true allegiance to Christ that is real. True believers persevere until the end. That's what we're called to. We're called to an allegiance that says, I have no king but Christ, and we stand by it no matter the cost. No matter what we may face, no matter what threats are on the other end. This is true allegiance. So that's the four fakes. Fake worship, fake authority, fake judgment, fake allegiance. As we come to the end of this passage, the the question that keeps popping up in my mind, at least as I was preparing and thinking over this, is what is real? In our world, in, in what we see here in this text today, we see so much that is fake. So much that is lies. So much that's mistruth. What is real? And I think verse 16 ties this together for us so neatly here, where it says, Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. What is real is that Christ, again, was crucified for us. Savior of the world, the the sovereign God of the universe, he allows them to mock him. He allows them to beat him. He allows them authority over him, and he allows death to take him. He endured this to atone for our sins. And so today, the, the, the main thrust of what I want you to realize here at the end is that there's a whole lot of stuff that's fake in the world, and we can be those things. Or we can stick to what is real and what is true and what is good, and when we say, behold the man, look at him. Today, I I want to encourage you, behold Christ. Behold your king. Here we see, again, a God who loved us so much that he would allow all these things so that he could pay the price for our sins, so that we could be made right with him. So today, we want you to behold your king. But I also want you to take a very real look at your life. And ask the question, what is fake and what is real? What's genuine and what's not? Again, we live in a world full of fakes. We are called to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. And so that is my prayer for you. It's my prayer for our church. And if we continue to live for what is real, what is true, if we continue to live for the gospel, the world full of lies and falsehood and fakes will take notice. And so, friends, behold your king. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that you loved us, again, so much, that you were willing to endure this mockery, this false worship, But Father, we pray that you would not have to endure it here. That Lord, we would not be a people that mock you with fake worship and fake allegiance. Who are so arrogant as to think that we have it all under control. No, Lord, we pray that here we would offer you true and real worship from the heart. Lord, we pray that we would give you true allegiance. 
not lip service. And so, Father, as we prepare to depart today, Lord, as we enter this time of reflection, we pray that you would show us in our life what is fake and help us to put it to death. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to live for the truth above all else. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.